Hi, this is David Sachs, and welcome to Spiritual Tools for an Outrageous World. Every week we do a little couples therapy between us and God. It's a chance to deepen and explore our most important relationship. Okay, I'm glad you're here. Uh, I want to start with a, a crazy story that, that happened to me this past week. So, those of you who were on the talk last week, it was Parshas Ekev, which is which in Hebrew, that's Hebrew for the word heel, as in the, the heel of your foot. Um, you might remember we we, we were discussing the, what, what that means in Torah, how it, it, it's, it's sort of the end of your body. It also stands for the end of days. Ikdei de Meshiche is Aramaic, meaning the, the end of days. So it's literally it would be the heel of days, right? And, and I, I, I was mentioning that, look at how God constructed us. Our, our anatomies in, in such a divine way that God could have put our eyeballs on our heels. And every time we took a step, we'd be like, ah, oh, oh, ah, right? That, it, it could have been like that. Anyway, at shul this week, I was leaving the davening and one of the congregants sort of like waved me over and he said, ah, oh, I was listening to your talk on Sunday. That thing you were talking about, like your eyeballs being on your heels, that, he said, that really made me laugh. I was like, okay, great, you know. So um, later on in the week, my big toe started really hurting. And just kind of out of nowhere. And I thought, I must have like stubbed my toe or something and didn't realize it. Anyway, the pain started increasing to the point where I had to climb a, 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 a flight of stairs. I'm not exaggerating. I am not exaggerating. With two hands on the banister, I had to literally pull myself up the flight of stairs. I was in such pain. Okay? That, that's how bad it got. I went to bed. I woke up the next morning, and I was feeling a little better. I was still kind of like limping, but I was thinking, look, it's one of two things. I either sprain my toe, or I have a broken toe. And, and I heard from a doctor one time that, that to, if you get a sprain, sometimes it hurts more than a break. So I thought, you know, I got to go. I got to get x-rays. Um, hey, all right. So anyway, it's morning and I got to pray. And I was thinking, you know, why don't I just go to shul? So, so I'm, I'm limping, but I go to shul. And one of the, one of the guys there... Uh, sees me and says, what's the matter? I said, I think I broke my toe. And he says, maybe it's gout. I thought, gout? What, what is he talking about? You know? Anyway, after davening, I get home and I go right to the internet and I Google gout. And it says, an inflammation in the joint under the big toe. And I realize I've got gout. I, it, it, I don't even know how to explain to you like what it felt like to read that on the internet. The only thing I can compare it to, and this, this hasn't happened to me yet, but winning the lottery, like imagine you're holding a ticket and you're looking at the 
screen on your computer, and the numbers that you have in your hand are the numbers that it reads on on the computer. That That's how I felt. I was like, I can't believe it. So my wife calls our, our, our family doctor, and I, I tell him, I say, I've got gout. He's like, how do you know you have gout? I said, because a guy in shul saw me limping, and he told me I have gout. And he literally starts ridiculing me, okay? He's like, because some guy, did, did he see your foot? No, he didn't, he didn't see my foot. He said, would you come in here? I said, but you don't understand. Then I Googled it. He said, he wouldn't even let me finish my story. He's like, just get in the office. I come in the office. He takes one look at my foot. He says, you have gout. <laughs> so... But now here's the crazy part. He says, it's supposed to be so painful, they say it's like walking on your eyeballs. Can you imagine? How crazy is that? How crazy is that? And if the person in shul hadn't told me earlier, oh, I laughed when you said it's like walking on your eyeballs, I would have forgotten that I had even said it. <laughs> That's something... Anyway, I uh, I had sponsored the kiddush this week in shul, and the right now we it's in someone's backyard, so it's two miles there and it's two miles back from me, four miles. That this was on Friday. In a million years, I thought I'm not going to be able to walk four miles, you know. Anyway, he gave me some medicine. I walked there and back. Can you imagine the kindness of God? Kindness of God. And I'll tell you, as I was walking, it, I, I still feel it a little bit, you know? But here we have 10 toes. But if the joint under one of the 10 toes is not functioning properly, you can't walk. Or you can walk, but with excruciating pain. Isn't that amazing? You know, there's so many parts of our body that we're not even aware of. Like, I really laugh. Like, to me, this is an example of science gone wrong. You ready? People decided that the pancreas has no function. And so it was in vogue for a while just to have your pancreas taken out because it's just taking up space. Can you imagine? <laughs> to me, you know... I'm not talking as, as a religious man right now. I am talking about as a Harvard graduate right now. Who the hell takes out their pancreas because they just don't know what the pancreas does? <laughs> you know, to me, that is just the, the, the height, the height of arrogance. But, but there's so many parts to our body that we don't even know what they're doing and they're, and they're like basically making it possible for us to function. And then if you want to extend, ex, ex, extend this idea one more level, you know, if, if a person wants to, you know, really be connected with God and, and, and sensitive and be mindful and be aware and be in the moment and everything like that, the, you have to, the, there's one passport to, to all of those states of consciousness and it's gratitude. You start thanking God for things and you're just, your mind expands and you realize that there's more to thank and there's more to thank. And then I realized at one point, God is doing 
more for me that I'm not aware of than what I am aware of. And I'm talking about from the perspective of actively trying to find things to thank God for. It all of a sudden occurred to me, there's so much more I I don't know about that he's doing and that I'll never know about that he's doing. And so now, in inspired moments, I, I don't do this all the time, I, I, I would like to do this all the time, I'm thanking God for the things that he's done for me and all the things that I don't know about and will never know about that he's doing for me on a regular basis. Because that's all of us, believe me. And I'm sure if I knew the numbers, the number of things, blessings that God is doing for us that we don't know about probably dwarfs the number of things that we do know about. Okay, so I want to talk about, in Parshas Re'eh, Re'eh starts off in, in, a, in a very beautiful way. It says, Re'eh Anochi. Um, and what that means, Re'eh means see. God is saying, see, I'm placing before you today a blessing and a curse. And the, the word today is awesome there because what it means is, is that God, on an ongoing basis, every moment of our lives is putting two paths in front of us. Right? Re'e anochi. See that I'm putting before you today a blessing and a curse. And so this is, this is amazing because this, we're not talking about a history book right now. God is telling us the, the truth of our reality in this world, that we're almost always at forks in the road, you know? And a lot of people, forks in the road, it's a very challenging place for a person to be. Which, which way do I go? Which direction do I go? And some people are afraid to walk down either pathway. Maybe I'll choose the wrong pathway. And other people, they think, if I can just think long enough, I'll figure out which is the right pathway. And then they never pick a pathway because they can never figure it out. You know? So here's my advice. Ask yourself, which pathway will bring more light to the world? And then whatever that answer is, that's the one to go down. Because, you know, remember, Kabbalistically speaking, this dimension that we live in is called Olamasiya, which means the world of action. It means that we, we have to keep moving. We have to keep moving. So, so anyway, let's talk about another level within this idea of Re'e Anochi. Re'e means to see. Anochi means I. So... So it can mean on another level that you should appreciate yourself. See anochi. Anochi means I, as in I am, right? That, that God is asking you to behold yourself. Behold this amazing thing that God created, right? We were just talking about the body, all the different parts of the body and everything like that. Every person is like just this ongoing miracle. It's a living miracle. Okay, but let's go deeper. You might know 
that when God gave us the Torah at Mount Sinai, he, he, he began it with the word, the Ten Commandments begin with the word, Anochi, which means I. But now we're not talking about you and me. God is talking about himself when he says Anochi. Anochi Hashem Elokecha, I am God your God. So Anochi, that means God. In fact, the Kabbalists say that, you know, there's a, a discussion among the Torah sages. What did God actually say at Mount Sinai? So the Talmud says God said the first two of the Ten Commandments, um, one positive, one negative. Remember the whole Torah, all 613 commandments can be divided into the positive and the negative category, which again gets back to this two paths, right? The idea that we have twin engines to our life force. We have the do's, and those are the mitzvahs, the, you know, what we call the mitzvahs ase, which means the positive commandments, do this. And then we have what's called the lotases, which means don't do, right? Or thou shalt not, right? That's, that's, that's another pathway. So, but if you just think of it in terms of your life force, there's an aspect which you sanctify by being proactive, and there's an aspect of your soul that you sanctify by refraining. So, so that's a very interesting dynamic that is true for all of us that we should be aware of. The engaging in life and then knowing which occasions to refrain from, right? So, so th that's another expression of the um, do's and don't do's. And so according to the Talmud, when God gave the Torah Mount Sinai, the first commandment is a do, believe in God. The second commandment is don't have other gods, don't have, don't have idol worship. That's a don't do. So in other words, God spoke and addressed these two aspects to our life force. That's, that's one understanding. But there's an even deeper idea, which is God didn't even say the first two. He only said the first word of the Torah. All God said was, I am. That was it. <laughs> and within the words, I am, was the entirety of the Torah. All right? Now, I'll tell you, just, just to go just one more bonus level deeper, right? The deepest Kabbalists I heard from Reb Shlomo, and this is, I saw it from the Karmana Rebbe, who is the one of the greatest Kabbalists, that God actually didn't even say the whole word Anochi. He just said the first letter of the word Anochi, which is the letter Aleph. And now here's the mind blower. The letter Aleph is silent. So God pronounced the silent letter Aleph, and within that was contained the entirety of the Torah. Okay, that's... You can think about that for the rest of your life, by the way. <laughs> um, but anyway... So, but this idea, Anochi, is the first word of the, of the Ten Commandments, which again contains the entirety of the Torah. And Anochi, God is saying, I am. All right. So now, how did we start? We said that the Parsha begins with Re'e Anochi. See I, see yourself, see the greatness of that which is, of you are. See the divinity of your own existence. 
But then we said, well, wait a second. When God refers to himself at this holiest moment, the giving of the Torah on Mount Sinai, God refers to himself as Anochi. So what is God asking us to sing? And so what I'd like to do is just sort of like put these two ideas together and, 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 and say the following. You see, we have a soul. What's your soul? Your soul is a piece of God. God puts a piece of himself inside of you. So when God says to you, see your eye, re'e anochi, what is your eye? What is the essence of your eye? The essence of your eye is God himself. See the godliness that's inside of you. Because God calls himself Anochi. And now we can fit it in with the rest of the passage. If you see the greatness of yourself, the, the, the fact that you have divinity within you. Now remember, man is not God, but man has godliness within him. Human beings, we have godliness within We are not God. Don't get confused. We are not God. But we have godliness within us. That's our souls. That's this anochi. So if you see the anochi, if you see that, that awesomeness, that light, that exceeding light that's in every single one of us, you will choose the right path. You will. You will. And you'll do it today. You'll do it on an ongoing basis because you'll be tuned in to just how exalted reality is. You know, there's a very important teaching, which is, we know that God is everywhere. God fills the entire world, saturates all of creation, all of it. This is true. But Sometimes we think that God is more present in heaven than he is on earth. But one of the things a person has to understand is God is equally present, equally present here as he is in heaven. It's just he's more hidden here. Okay, that's, that's what we would call a cash tart. I'm going to say it again. It's a little distinction that you have to make in your mind, but it's an easy distinction to make if you're concentrating. God is equally present on earth, in this dimension, as he is in the higher heavens. He's equally here. He's just more concealed. Okay? Let me ask you something. You walk into your kitchen, and there's a pot of soup, and the lid is off. And the lid is on, rather. You don't know what's in the pot. But you know what? You lift up the lid and you know what's in the pot? Chicken soup. Now let me ask you something. When you walked into the room and the pot was covered and you didn't know what was in the pot, was the chicken soup in the room or was it not in the room? <laughs> There's only one answer, folks. The chicken soup was in the room. <laughs> you didn't know it was in the room. But it was in the room. Okay? That's what I'm saying. It was present, 100% present. It's just that its presence was concealed. Okay? 
Now, for me, one of the interesting things about just our brains, our souls, our life, this world, right? This is kind of an all-encompassing thought right now, but it's a quick one. Is there people who look at the world and say, how can you believe in God? And there are other people who look in the world at the world, the same world, and say, how can you not believe in God? <laughs> Isn't that funny? It's funny. But if you start looking for God, you know what? You start seeing him. And then, not only do you start seeing him, but you realize it's like he's absolutely everywhere. And it almost becomes obvious, his presence. All right, so now we still have things that we can't understand, like suffering and, and, all, and all sorts of things like that. Okay, these are other topics. But, but still, his existence and his presence, it, it's, it's all around us. And the more we look for it, the more we see it. I, I realized at one point, I heard from Rabbi um, Chaim Citrin years ago, he said that God is the most hidden, actually he heard this from his Rebbe, God is the most hidden that he can be in this world, where if you look for him, he can still be found. I'll say it again. God is the most hidden he can be in this world, where if you look for him, he can still be found. Right? So, you know what that means to me? That means that if you look for him, you will find him. <laughs> but you have to keep on looking. You know, I, I had a, a friend who was a writer, and he sometimes he would do these kind of charity events. And they try to pull in big writers and big famous people. And this was a really interesting observation. He's an executive producer. You know, like they have like a like a telethon or a fundraiser. And, you know, you could get big celebrities and even like big writer producers to volunteer for an afternoon. They just have to show up for an afternoon and, you know, whatever. So so he got to work with some of the absolute top, top, top names in the industry because of these charity events. And I asked him, I said, you know, what was it like? And he was like, yeah. You know, like you'd think that he was in, an, you know, this room of, you know, some of the greatest all-stars of, you know, Hollywood talent. Like it must have been, wow, it must have been amazing to be in that writer's room, right? He'd go, eh, it wasn't much of anything. I'd say, really, why? He said, because people show up and they give you their first idea. Now, this was a fascinating concept for me. Your first idea. You see... When you get into talent, right? Like I'm talking about levels of talent. You know, when you're going to a movie and it's a hit movie by a top director or top writer, can I tell you what you are not seeing? You are not seeing the first idea. <laughs> you are seeing the fifth, the 10th, the 20th, the 25th draft is up there. That's what you're watching. You're watching someone peel away and work for years and peel away and get notes and struggle with the notes and peel away. That's what you're getting. 
So he said at these celebrity events, you know what you get? You get people's first idea. And, you know, they're, they're doing you a favor by showing up. They're not going to break their heads. And, you know, but, it, but why am I telling you about this? Because I said, if you search for God, you're going to find him. But can I tell you something? Don't think it's going to be your first idea, please. <laughs> oh, I saw a poster with a guru on it. There it is. I found God. Woo! I mean, like Reb Shlomo would say, it's, it, 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 it's sweet and it's cute. That was one of his, one of his most stinging, <laughs> one of his most stinging phrases, when he wanted a, you know, Reb Shlomo was too exalted to put something down in a bad way, but he'd say, "It's sweet and it's cute." Meaning, translation: you got to do, be you got to do better, brother. <laughs> you can do better than that. You know, we have a lot of exile in the world right now. And, you know, for thousands of years, we grew up father to son, mother to daughter, mother to son, <laughs> father to daughter. You know, communicating our, our divine heritage from Mount Sinai. And for generations, it's broken down. It's just the reality of the world. It's just broken down. But it doesn't mean you don't have the Torah inside you, and it doesn't mean that God isn't all around you. He is. But it takes a little bit of work if you want to find the truth right now. You got to, you got to roll up your, your sleeves, so to speak. But it's out there. And it's the Torah, by the way. You know, we don't have to be shy about saying it. We don't have to be shy about saying it. Um, and you know why? Because the Torah tells you to love everybody. If the Torah didn't tell you to love everybody, then maybe we would have to be shy about it. But the Torah tells you to love everybody. And you know what else? The Torah also tells you that people from all religions have a place in heaven. If they're righteous. If they're righteous. So we don't have to be ashamed to say that the Torah is the truth. You know, I remember when I, when I first started becoming, um, you know, keeping Shabbos, things like this. I was out in Los Angeles. My parents were in New York. They're like, so what are you doing this weekend? I'm like, oh, I'm going to this rabbi's house for dinner. They're like, eh, you've been kind of doing that a lot lately. <laughs> you know? Like, getting a, little, getting a little worried. Getting a little worried for their son David in, in Los Angeles. And... Um, you know, then I become observant, and it's like, oh man, I paid a lot of money for you to go to Harvard, for you to start getting observant on me. And um, anyway, over time, my parents, especially my father, became so supportive. Do you know why? Do you know why? Because he saw the Torah was making me into a better son. I was loving them more. I was giving them more respect. I was giving them more honor. And they said, you know what? If the Torah actually is going to make you a better person and make you a better son, all right, we can, we can, we can be supportive of that. Uh, okay. 
So let's um, let's look at another place in the parsha. I want to tell you some very some very beautiful thoughts from from the Eretzvi, from Rav Frumer, um, and um, he he goes on uh, a verse. Lotis uh, Godudu, famous famous uh, expression in the Torah. It means it's talking the the greater context is if if someone dies. How we're supposed to react to that situation. And the ancients had a certain type of mourning. And what they would do is they would they would they would cut themselves, like like with a like with a like with a knife. They would like cut themselves as a as a sign of their mourning. Okay? And they would pull patches of hair out. And create like <clears throat> bold spots in their head. Again, it's a sign of mourning. And one of the commandments in the Torah is don't do that. Don't do that. Don't cut yourself. Don't do that. Okay. And we'll we'll get into the kind of the way it, it relates to death and everything like that and mourning in a moment. They're all happy thoughts, by the way. It's, these aren't sad thoughts. Um but uh, first, Rav Frimer goes deeply into this word, don't cut yourself. Now, reflect, now grammatically, in Hebrew grammar, uh, his godudu is in a binyan, a grammatical form called the reflexive. Okay? That means it's a verb form, but it applies to yourself. So it's unusual in this context to to be using the reflexive when you don't have to use the reflexive. So so Rav Frimer says, you know something, when it says don't cut yourself, and it's talking about yourself, didn't have to do it in that verb form. Okay, we haven't said the point yet, but let's get to it. He says on a very deep way, don't cut your body off from your soul. That's what it means, don't cut yourself. Don't separate your body from your soul. Okay, I'm going to explain it. You see, let's say I'm hungry. I got to eat. I'm hungry. So I'm eating food. But you know something? That's just my body eating the food. What happened to my soul? So if I want my soul and my body to be together, to not be cut off from each other, then there has to be a higher reason why I'm eating. I'm eating God, please God, I'm eating this food so that I should have strength to serve you with. If that's what you have in mind, then your body and your soul are eating together and you haven't cut yourself. You haven't cut your body from your soul. Let's say I'm tired. I just want to go to sleep. Okay, good. But you know what? That's just your body going to sleep. What about your soul? If you don't want to cut your body off from your soul, then when you go to sleep, you have to say, God, you know something? I'm resting right now. I'm going to sleep right now so that tomorrow I should have strength to serve you with. Now your body and your soul are sleeping together. 
They're united. And this is the idea that we should know God in all of our ways. And if a person has this consciousness, they turn everything into a mitzvah. Every physical activity becomes a mitzvah. Every pleasure that the body experiences becomes a mitzvah. If the intention is L'Shem Shemaim, then the body and the soul are together. Okay. So that's, 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 that's pretty interesting. That's very special. Don't, don't, don't cut yourself. That's why it's in the reflexive, because it's talking about your body and your soul. Okay, let's go deeper still. In the context of mourning, we're supposed to be sad, but we're not supposed to get overly sad. Why shouldn't a person get overly sad? In other words, it's not the Torah way to get overly sad. Why? Because the soul didn't go anywhere. In other words, the soul is in Shemayim, the soul is in heaven, but the, the soul didn't get destroyed. The, the body got left behind, but the soul is still here. You, you still have a relationship with the soul. So the Ramban asks a question on this. He says, if it's, not, if it's not sad, then why do people cry? And he said, well, if two people love each other in this world, we're not talking about dying now, two people love each other in this world, and one goes on a trip, the other one cries, because <laughs> you're going to miss each other. So in other words, it's okay to miss the person and it's okay to cry because you miss the person. All of that is okay. But not to overly cry because you think that the person is gone forever because the person is not gone forever. The soul is alive and lives on. And so now he says something very, very deep. He says, don't cut this world off from the next world. Don't cut Olam Hazeh off from Olam Haba. See, the path of the soul goes from this world to the next world. But if you cut it, if you cut it, then you think the soul is gone. But if you keep it together, if you don't cut it, if you keep Olam Hazeh, this world and the next world together, then you realize the soul is very close. The soul hasn't left you. That's, that's deep too, right? Okay. So now let's go maybe even deeper. You see, human beings are born a certain way. We have a heart, but we have this layer around our heart. It's called, in, in Hebrew, we call it an orla. An orla is this, this blockage that's around our hearts. It stops our hearts from being feeling. It stops our hearts from being open. Okay? Uh, so, so that's one visual. If you just visual, visualize the heart and this casing around the heart, this orla, right? And we've got to get rid of the orla. We've got a Torah commandment. Get rid of your orla. Get rid of that 
casing around your heart so that your heart can be open, so that you can be a feeling person. But I want you to visualize it a different way right now, okay? I want you to visualize the heart with its casing around it, and now above it is the mind. A lot of you are familiar with the um, saying that the furthest distance in the world is between the mind and the heart, right? There's a lot of truth to that. But let me tell you why, based on what we've just been saying, that's true. Because the mind can't be connected to the heart because there's this blockage around the heart. In other words, when the mind wants to connect with the heart, it hits this brick wall that's around the heart. Do you understand? And so now this is another level of lo tiskodidu, which is don't cut off your mind from your heart. All right, now let me tell you why the mind and the heart being together are so important. Because they are, there. it's essential, it's essential. Because you can know things intellectually, and the reality is you really don't know them. Unless the information goes from the mind to the heart, unless the heart also knows, you don't know. And what's the proof? Rav Firman gives us a proof. What's the proof? And, and you, this is a test that you can give yourself. What's, what's the proof? What's the test that your mind and your heart are actually connected? Do you know what it is? If you're doing it. If you're doing it. See, let me give you an example. Let's say someone knows smoking is really bad, right? But they're smoking all the time. But they know that smoking is bad. But they're smoking all the time. How do you explain that? And it, based on what we're saying, there's a very simple explanation. The information that smoking is bad, it's in their head, but it's not in their heart. It didn't get to their heart. And what's the proof? The proof is, is that they're still smoking. Or if there's something positive to do. Let's say I know exercise is important, but I'm not exercising. So what does that mean? That means that that information is still in my head. It hasn't gotten into my heart yet. And how do I know what's the proof? Because I'm not exercising. So now listen to this. Rav Firmer tells us, now there are different ways, different strategies to get information from the mind to the heart. But we were talking about mourning, and it says in the Gemara that if an Adam Kusher, an Adam Kusher, which would be translated as, let's translate it as, well, the literal definition would be a kosher person. But it means someone who, you know, does more than keep kosher. It means really an upright person, an upright person. But it doesn't, it's not necessarily the exalted levels of a tzaddik or something like this. But it's just, you know, it's an upright person. It's a, it's a very good status to have. So it says in the Gomorrah that if an Adam kosher, if an upright person dies, 
that it's appropriate to cry for them, to cry over the loss of this person. And that if you cry for them, all of your sins are forgiven. Okay? So, what is it about these tears? We see something really amazing about the power of tears. Tears have the capacity to melt the orla, the encasement around your heart. You know, like, how am I going to, how is my heart ever going to be open? How am I going to open my heart? How am I going to get rid of this, like, blockage around my heart? Well, one way to do it is through tears. It just like, it's just like, imagine Drano, like the pipe between your mind and your heart is all clogged up. Tears just burn through all of the, all the schmutz, all the, all the stuff getting in the way. You know, if you look at your body and you look in the mirror and you kind of go like this, you kind of pull your eyelids down a little bit, you'll see two little tiny holes there. They're called tear ducts. So probably you would say to me, oh, well, God made tear ducts so that our brains don't drown when we cry. (laughs) Like we got to get the water out somehow. So it's got to get out somehow. So let's put two holes in there and get the tears out. Well, that would be what we would call the, uh, the, the first answer, right? The, the, that's, that's your first thought. But we can do better. Tear ducts, tear ducts are there so that we can cry. God wants us to cry. God wants our tears. He wants our tears. Okay, we have to talk about what kind of tears in a moment just so you don't think I'm telling you all to be depressed and miserable. It's not what I'm talking about right now. By the way, as far as I know, at least in the five books, at least in the Chumash and the Torah, there's only one person in the Torah who's called by his name and then Hatzadik, right? The righteous one, the saintly one. That's Yosef, Yosef Hatzadik. We don't say Moshe Hatzadik. Of course, Moshe was very great. We don't say Yaakov Hatzadik or Avraham Hatzadik or Yitzchak Hatzadik, right? We don't say Miriam Hatzadikis, right? Only one person gets this very exalted title, Yosef, Yosef Hatzadik. Can I tell you something interesting about Yosef? Yosef cries more than anyone else in the entirety of the Torah. Isn't that interesting? The one who cries the most in the entire Torah is the one who's called the righteous one. So let's talk about different types of tears, okay? There's the tears of giving up, and those are absolutely not the tears that we're talking about right now. We're not talking about the tears of giving up. 
But you know what? Even the tears of giving up can be good. You know why? Because any tears get you to the place where you can where you can start to dissolve the orla around your heart. In other words, once you start crying, the cash register is open and you can do anything you want with the cash. With those tears, however they start flowing, however they start flowing, you then use them because now the gates are open and you can pray for everything. And you can pray for an open heart. And you can pray to get to that next place in your life. And you can pray that God should help you and have mercy on you. And on all of us, to pray for all of us. Right? Because when the gates are open, you have to remember all your brothers and sisters in the world. All of them. And pray that they should get married and have kids and have jobs and have refuah, healing and Mashiach and all the rest. So, so yeah, these tears are really precious because somehow we're actualizing a life force within us in a very extreme, elevated way. And somehow, things that come with tears, they just get into the heart. That's just what it is. So, so tears are a blessing. They really are. But, but remember, there are a lot of different type of tears. There's a lot of different type of tears. And um, there's tears of thanks, tears of joy, tears of just wanting to be close. Right? Those are the best ones. And I'll tell you something. I, I cry a fair amount. I do. I really do. And can I tell you, how I do it. <laughs> I listen to music. I listen to music and the music makes me cry. And then once I start crying, it's just, I'm just davening my heart out. So I, I really recommend it, you know. I really recommend it. There's so much good music out there. There's so much good music out there. And I'll tell you something. Even secular music, when it says, I love you, baby, you just substitute the word God for baby. <laughs> You're my everything. You just plug in God for you. <laughs> and I'm telling you, the most secular song in the world can become like King David is like, jamming on his harp. <laughs> it's true. Believe me. I, I've, I've done it many times. It's true. So you just find what speaks to you. And, 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 and you can get to that place. Okay. Um, let me just conclude by saying that it's Rosh Chodesh Elul. So we're at the beginning of this awesome, awesome adventure. We're in the home stretch toward the new year. A new creation is coming down. And they say that God right now, this is the time of year that God is the closest that he ever is. Right? The king is in the fields, 
right? That's, that's what we say. Usually the king is in the palace behind all sorts of doors and walls and everything like that. But now the king has left the cows. The, the king is in the fields. And starting tomorrow morning at Shachris every morning, we're going to be blowing the shofar, the big alarm clock, the big wake-up call. And just start dreaming. Just start dreaming. And uh, it's going to be good. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful things ahead of us. Awesome things ahead of us for all of us. Um, okay, great. But but joy is another great, holy heart opener. You know, when you just kind of like realize like, ah. But I'll tell you something. Another great one is just gratitude. And when I... Gratitude just sounds like a very flat word. It's not not very resonant to me anyway. But but the thing is, is that if you just start thanking God, this is an exercise I've done many times, and I really, really, really recommend it, okay? And just walk down, just take a walk around your house or, or down the block or whatever it is, or just sit down, whatever it is, just get comfortable. And just start thanking God and find things to thank God for. Say, Thank you, God. And you don't have to start in an inspired way at all, okay? So I'm just going to give you an example. Thank you, God, for my hands. Thank you, God, for my feet. Thank you, God, for my life. Thank you, God, for, you know, breakfast today. Thank you, God, for the four walls in this room. Thank you, God, for the ceiling. If I didn't have a ceiling here, it would be really hot. And thank you, God, for the sky. The sky is like a giant... How big is how big a ceiling is the sky? <laughs> and what about all the stars in the sky? And what I'm trying to say is, you, you see the what's happening here, is that things will roll into each other. And if you keep on thinking, at a certain point, your mind starts to expand. And your heart actually starts to fill up with gratitude. And even if it starts off in the most prosaic, insincere, uninspired way, it will blossom in not too long a time if you keep actively thanking God for things. And then you're going to be in this like very exalted state. And I'm telling you, it works. It, it absolutely works. David? Yes. Wait a second. We've got we've got hands raised. We've got hands raised. So we got to respect the line. Um, okay, uh, Barbara. I Here's see something new and exciting. Up. Spiritual tools for an outrageous world is now on social media with uplifting slash mind bending updates throughout the week. So please follow me on Facebook at David Sachs Spiritual Tools or on Instagram David Sachs Spiritual Tools. Thanks for listening. We do this every week, so join in again next Sunday for our new podcast where we explore the amazingness of life. And review us and send in any comments or suggestions. I'd love to hear them.